of the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, got it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nice Warner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Tuesday the 2nd. You're tuned into Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks, morning. Uh, thanks. well, both of you, but Luke, Parker, thanks for holding the fort down a little bit. Did you all have a nice uh, end of your last week and, well, yesterday? I did. It was a good time. It was a great time. Hey, how was it running uh, running the ship by yourself there for a day or two, Luke? It was interesting. It was some flashbacks to the old college radio days. <laughs> it, it's nicer to have a room full of people, but it was it, it was cool to go solo for a little bit. My solo career was a little bit more successful than more artists, but uh, of course, <laughs> short, short-lived. Well, good. Well, hey, let's uh, not waste any time. Let's get right into it. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about, which I think is kind of cool because uh, they have done this in Hagerstown at the Hagerstown Ice and Sports Complex for a while. Or, well, recently, but they did this uh, around here too. the Capitals, right? Hockey, I feel like, has a lot of fans, but not a lot of players because I think hockey is a crazy expensive sport to get into as like a parent, especially with youth and travel and things. But the Capitals are trying to make that a little easier because they uh, did this big clinic uh, youth development thing. 140 local kids were involved in that. Uh, and if there's any way to grow the game, I think the way to do it would be the way they did it, which is in the summertime in an outdoor arena where you're not having to get all bundled up and like have to skate and things like that. Yeah, and I, I'm excited as times get closer to see what different sports markets are like around this area. Soccer season starting to kick off, so I'm starting to notice that there's more soccer fans around here than I hoped. Uh, and I think the same for the NHL, uh, that yeah. once we get closer, we're going to start to see more from Penguins fans and Capitals fans as well. But you're right about youth hockey. I always wanted to play it when I was growing up. I always really wanted to be a goalie, but I never could. Well, a, I wasn't flexible. Yeah. And B, you know, just didn't have the money for $1,000 worth of goalie pads for a kid. And right. then you grow out of them. You got to buy a new set and a new set and a new set. And I ended up settling for catcher, which was also equally as fun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's such an, a, an expensive sport to get into. And I think so many parents are like, you know, is this a fad? Does my eight-year-old want me to buy him a set of gear? He's going to play for a year and he's going to yeah. quit. So when you have an opportunity like this to not have as much money invested in it, go out and have a good time, see if you find uh, an instant love with the sport of hockey, which I'm sure is so much fun to play at a young age, and then start to make the investment into your kids. So it's cool to see uh, a, a program putting on an event like that in the community. Yeah, and I agree with that too. I feel like hockey as well seems almost has been regional locked for oh, so many years. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you see kids in Minnesota, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Michigan. That seems to be the hotbed for youth hockey and hockey going up to college ranks and eventually to the NHL. Now, if that gets spread out more to better regions, out like D.C., for example, and you bring it more south towards West Virginia, Virginia, and more mm-hmm. into the southern regions, you could see a big growth in the sport of hockey. And I think it's been growing over the past 10 to 15 years, and people have been getting more into the sport. But events like this is what's going to grow the sport. And if these continue, it could grow the NHL into being brought in now, if I'm going to be honest, we do have a big three of the sports leagues with the NFL, mm-hmm. the NBA, it's and a close, the MLB. It's an up-and-coming four. Yeah, it is an up-and-coming four. And if this moves momentum, we'll be talking about a big four instead of a big three. 
No, and I, and I think the NHL already does a really good job. I think the NHL is really the most personable of the professional sports. I think the uh, just watching interviews and uh, seeing all the community things that the teams do already is a big deal with growing the game. I mean, the Cavs are coming all the way out here uh, in you know the middle of well the beginning of August, end of July to do something like this is going to grow the game and uh, you know exponentially, especially when these kids are you know probably not going to a baseball camp or a basketball camp. It's going to a hockey camp. So I thought that was pretty cool to bring up because uh, hockey season. As we all know, because hockey season seems like it lasts forever, just like basketball um, is right around the corner. But another thing that came down the pipe uh, fairly recently, that Shepherd football ranked number two in the uh, D2 Football America polls. And finally, I think Shepherd got some the respect that they deserve. There were a couple polls that went around a couple of months ago uh, and in towards uh, the beginning of the summer that put them kind of like five or top ten, right? But not in that top two or three, which I thought uh, they should have been, especially with their, I mean, 13-2 record last year going to the semifinals of getting beat by the eventual national champions, Fair State. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that it seems like they finally got a little respect put on their name. Yeah, absolutely. When you return, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Division two Heisman winner and uh, a left tackle that's most likely going to get NFL buzz, it doesn't matter if it's me playing defense. Mm-hmm. You, you deserve to put some respect on that team's name. So, the, you know, we've seen six, we've seen eight, we've seen whatever from these polls and just remarkable disrespect in terms of Shepard football Football is concerned and you look at the personnel that they have coming back on the offensive side of the ball you look at the new faces that they're bringing in on defense and I'm sure we'll dive into the record uh, a little bit or rather their roster a little bit more extensively uh, as training camp opens and we start to figure out who's going to be the pieces in that secondary who's going to replenish that linebacking core whoever but knowing just that that you've probably got the best quarterback in all of division two football you definitely have the best if he stays healthy very good left tackle very good playmakers a wide receiver uh very capable head coach that has been there done that and a new offensive coordinator and tyler haynes that people Mm -hmm. are very excited about like this is the amount of respect that this team should be garnering yeah it's about i'm gonna say it's about dang time to quote (laughs) lebron james it's about dang time someone gave the rams their due and They've been disrespected by media polls for weeks on end, in my opinion. And finally, someone got it right. I think this is where they should be. Because, I mean, Fair State, they lost their quarterback. He's, yeah. he's gone. And he's not even playing football anymore. He's no. coaching lacrosse. <laughs> he's, he's coaching lacrosse. So I think this is where they need to be slotted in. Because they they were on a hot shot to go to the national championship. And this from last year, this is where they should be, too. Mm-hmm. At worst, I think three, because that's realistically where they finished around last year. So it's about time somebody got it right, and I think this is where they can be, and I think this is probably where they will be for a lot of this season. The 2022 College Football America D2 preseason top 30, Ferris State number one, Shepard number two, Valdosta, Valdosta? I always say Valdosta. I think I it's say Valdosta. Valdosta. Yeah, Valdosta <laughs> State number three. Uh, other PSAC schools that made the top 30, Slippery Rocket 21, Cutstown at 12, and uh, Kutztown at 12. So there you go. It should be uh, uh, another pretty good season. Now, also, the starting lineup for the D2 uh, College Football America D2 polls. Tyson Bajant is the starting quarterback for the offense. Uh, Ryan Beach is the receiver, or the starting one of the starting receivers for there. And then, of course, Joey Fisher, like you mentioned, uh, who is already getting a ton of, um, a ton of NFL buzz. And he fits that, like... He fits that mold. I mean, I was at Ravens training camp yesterday, and I was thinking because uh, I was just talking with Joey uh, just last week, and standing next to him, you know, I was trying to picture that and kind of put him in that same kind of spot there with the Ravens guys. And I mean, he just body shape, athletically, uh, size in general, he just fits the mold for that uh, you know NFL tackle, that NFL guard. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a swing tackle right now, which is incredibly valuable. You're right. I don't necessarily think he'd be long enough to be a left tackle in the NFL, so you'd probably have to kick him into the inside. But he's such an interesting story. He missed his entire junior season of high school with an injury uh, and bounced back from that his senior year. If, if not for that, there's no doubt in my mind that he'd be playing at Maryland right now. Yeah, I mean, he came from a school, a literal, I mean, no disrespect to Clear Spring, but a school that you're not, nobody's really, you know, circling Clear Spring High School on the yeah. recruiting board. So you need to have four perfect years to get recruited out of a school like that, and he didn't. And it's not his fault that he got hurt. If not, and I know Maryland was interested in him as it is and just kind of let him slip through the cracks, and now he's at Shepard. And if you're good enough, teams will find you. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that athleticism, he's protecting the best quarterback in the country, the best quarterback at that level, that's going to put up ridiculous numbers. And if he keeps his nose clean and his quarterback's nose clean, he's going to get found. I don't know if he's going to get drafted or not. We'll have to see what the tape has to say. He'll have a really important combine and things like that. But there's no doubt in my mind when you get a guy that plays at that high of a level that a team wouldn't be interested in signing him as an undrafted free agent or whatever, kick him to the inside to see what they have in him because the athleticism is there, the reps and the talent are there, uh, and he's performed at a very high level out be it at a lower level than a power five schools left tackle would be but at some point you can't fault a guy for just putting up good numbers and good performances wherever he's at and this will be the year that he finally has like all the eyes on him right like all the postseason buzz and preseason buzz is finally you know uh bubbled up to this to where if he has a big season like he had last year with finally the eyes on him i think he pumps up to a, i mean honestly i mean a, uh what i'll go on a limb here and probably say top four round pick I mean, you see how high these offense. I mean, offensive linemen are making huge money in the NFL right now because how important they are and how important the quarterback position is. And you want to be spending, if you're spending as much money as you are on a quarterback, you want to be spending just as much money on a guy that's going to keep that guy healthy. No, I agree with you. And a lot of these good offensive linemen now are not coming from your big name schools. Too. Right. They're, you see a lot of really good offensive linemen that are coming from Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA schools. A lot of these linemen are coming from these lower ranks because they just fall through the cracks. And no disrespect to the linemen, they're not the sexiest position on the field. They're not the ones that are highlighted and sparked about when you go to combines. Everybody wants to look at the fast DBs, the receivers, the quarterbacks. Not many people are looking at the O-line like that. And this is where really good prospects fall through the cracks, like Joey Fisher. like He's going to probably be a quality starter in some sense with what he's got if he really performs this senior season. Like you said, Luke, he could be an amazing pulling guard in the NFL, I think, just with that athleticism. That's valuable in the NFL right now. There was a guy who got drafted, I think, two years ago from BYU. Reminds me a lot of Joey Fisher and Brady Christensen, who was at BYU. Really good swing tackle. He was a second-round pick. And who knows? If Fisher has an amazing season like this, you could see that. We've seen a lot of D2 linemen, a lot of like lower-classed schools have linemen that go all the way, even up to round one. We saw Cole, mm-hmm. Tra- Cole Strange from Chattanooga go round one this past draft. So the sky's the limit, I think. Well, you don't have a uh, offense if you don't have an offensive line. So uh, I think that makes them pro- arguably the most important position on the field. And, you know, with him having as good of a season last year and with Tyson having as good of a season last year, I mean, uh, all that does is just help the buzz and the eyes on them. But speaking of the Ravens, and we'll start talking uh, national stuff here after the break, uh, was that training camp yesterday, Lamar Jackson? Mm. I mean, in like the individual drills, he looked good. I mean, he was throwing dimes. Uh, but once they got into like the team drills uh, against like team defense and actually full speed, Man, he looked uh he looked a little um I don't know, a little concerning. Yes, was it one day at a preseason training camp? Yes, it was. But, you know, hey, we're getting closer and it's not as um intensive of a preseason as it used to be. So, uh, and how do you feel? How do you guys feel about uh this will be the last thing we talk about for the break. How do you feel about this kind of shortened 
preseason for the NFL. Because you saw a tweet, uh, Parker, that somebody said they should expand the NFL to like 32 games or something like well, that. That guy got dragged on Twitter for <laughs> yeah. saying that they should have an 82-game oh season. Gosh. What a moron. Oh, my, oh my goodness. The memes that came out of that were just unbelievable. The, but I'll say about a, a shortened preseason, it, it, it does a lot to help with injuries, obviously, but you have a lot of unprepared rookies especially i know you still have rookie mini camp and things like that but we got to see uh right at the beginning of the pandemic these rookies really did not have a good preseason i know the raiders had a really important draft class that year and it ended up being problematic because of the henry rugg situation and things like that but guys got to this week one of the nfl season and they weren't ready so you have to do a better job of bringing these rookies into the fold what i don't understand is these NFL teams have these 100, 120-man rosters in the preseason. That's great. Why can't you have the same length of a preseason that you've always had where these guys are fighting for roster spots and the guys that don't know what they're doing figure out what they're trying to do and then just slowly over time trickle in the starters that you need? Why can't the first half of training camp be guys that are fighting for roster spots and new faces mm. and then you start to bring in... Because Lamar Jackson is... you know one torn tendon away from this being right. a very problematic season for the Ravens. So it makes a ton of sense for him not to have as many reps in the preseason as really anybody else. But for the guys behind him, you know, Jalen Moore and Tylen Wallace and guys that they don't know who their number one receiver is going to be. They don't know who their three, four, five receivers are going to be. Those are the reps that are important. Or for the quarterbacks behind him, like Tyler Huntley or whoever, that are trying to develop to be the guy that's there if Lamar ever goes down, it's more important for them. So I just think there needs to be a healthy balance struck between the two. And I think it almost, I think it almost, Parker brings up more injuries, at least for the guys, like not the big name guys that are going to be, you know, uh, maybe have a little bit more of a uh, preseason, like a solo kind of workout thing. But I think it almost opens itself up uh, to more injuries having a shorter preseason. Season. Yeah, I agree with you too. A lot of the more, people, more lot of important injuries, at least more important injuries and yeah. bad spots. Yeah, I agree with you. A lot of I feel like a lot of people are rushing it and trying to get to that top peak performance too soon, and that's where your injuries happen. Baltimore was the unluckiest team in the preseason mm-hmm. last year. I mean, you had J.K. Dobbins, who was going to be a promise. He was promising looking into that second year. The Ravens got rid of Mark Ingram and gave him the keys. All right, you're our lead back. Goes down. Gus Edwards, the next guy up goes down it just problematic at the running back position Ronnie Stanley's had a very very unlucky injury history over the past few years he's one of the best left tackles in the league he just cannot stay healthy and this season's really important for him and other than that Marcus Peters too a key piece in that secondary he went down with a season-ending injury as well and uh, I saw a clip brought up Jordan I want to get your thoughts on this so there was a clip going around about Kyle Hamilton the Ravens first first round pick in this past year's draft looked like he was kind of burnt a little bit in practice granted it was only one clip and Hamilton kind of went back on that he was like hey I was like y'all don't blow that out of proportion it was just like one rep or something like that I I agree a little bit with Hamilton but are you concerned a little bit with that because that was a big thing with uh Hamilton late in the draft process he was maybe because he was hyped up people were talking about him maybe being like a top five pick Mm -hmm. but he slipped a little bit because people were like well because of his 40 time yeah he was he was slow in his 40 people didn't like athletically maybe like he wasn't the best but he was just a good playmaker so are you concerned a little bit from that uh hamilton rep at all well you mean notre dame and a notre dame player being overhyped what are you kidding me <laughs> that never happens never happens. no but uh i wouldn't say i'm concerned right now i mean obviously the ravens it's uh, very obvious how awful their secondary has been the last couple of years really i think yeah. that's what's kept them from being uh, a, a good team other than the fact that uh, lamar hasn't had anybody to block for him either in a while but i think it's early i mean you gotta remember he's still a rookie at that so he's still yeah. trying he's got a lot of stuff he's trying to learn a lot of things Yes, he was a first-round pick, so he should be able to handle that a little bit better than, say, like a 
fifth round, sixth round guy. But I don't think it's nothing to go too crazy about yet. Um, now, if this happens two, three more times where it's like caught and it's pretty bad, then yeah, I think we start to worry. But just one time, I'm not thinking it's that big a deal. He's going to be fine. He's yeah. not going to start this year. And no. if he's yeah. too slow, he'll put on 15 pounds right. and play outside backer. Right. So yeah, he's fine. that'll work. He's yeah, fine. I don't think that's that big of a deal. But yeah, Notre Dame overhyped. What? No <laughs> never, way. No never way. That. Never happens. But uh, we have a, we had a pretty exciting yesterday uh, with the MLB trade denla- deadline. My goodness. Uh, it was that exciting. I can't pronounce it. But a lot of guys get moved around. Still no word on Soto, but we'll be talking about that uh, and a little bit more here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. So we're coming down to the wire here for the MLB trade deadline. I believe, what is it, at like 6.30 tonight or something like that? It's when six the, o'clock. 6 o'clock six. is when the official uh, trade deadline hits. There's a lot of big names that are still kind of floating around, but a lot of big headlines hit yesterday. And the first one I want to bring up, because, uh, of course, we are a uh, we are one of the Baltimore Orioles radio affiliates. So you can catch uh, every Baltimore Orioles game right here on WPM and WCST. But... Wow. Fan favorite, fan cornerstone, team, you know, captain, inspirational hero. You can anything you want to say, it works with this guy. Trey Mancini is no longer an Oriole. And I said this to y'all this morning. It has been incredible to see these Orioles fans on the highest of highs with how get, well they've been playing. Now to the lowest, lowest, lowest of lows with Mancini being traded. But he goes to an Astros team that seems to be, uh, you know, primed and ready to really make a big time run here. So he's going into a uh, going from a team that you know is playing well and a pretty good run, but to an immediate World Series contender. So uh, what do you think about the Mancini move, Luke? It it was a move that needed to happen, unfortunately, uh, for Orioles fans, and that was something we were wondering whether or not they were going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline. The, the way to look at it is this. You're a couple of games out of the playoff spot right now, and you're at 500. So you've got exactly 60 games left to play, and you're 51 and 51. You can scrawl or uh, scratch and claw and fight, excuse me, uh, and try to fight your way into the playoffs and make a couple of moves here at the deadline. But let's be realistic. You're going to have to win 35 of your next 60 games, if not 38. So can this roster really go 38 and 22? They beat some really good teams. And the back along half the of exactly having to play uh, the Blue Jays again down the stretch, the Yankees down the stretch. They've still got a series with the Astros down the stretch, and I just don't see it happening. So it was time for them to sell high and move off from Mancini. I know it hurts uh, because of how much he's meant for this organization he went off in dramatic fashion with an inside the park home run off that right fielder's head Mm -hmm. the language and that was something that uh, i talked about in the shows that i hosted the language that all of the orioles players were using in that post-game press conference with mancini about and him saying you know i understand i wanted to be here for a rebuild and whatever they already knew he was going to get traded. It was a dead man walking, which was kind of a shame. He was, he, but he's really the only one. Yeah. He's like yeah. the only one on the team that you could really do anything with. But it, it needed to happen. Uh, a decent return when you get some young prospects back uh, from the Astros in this trade. I forget exactly what the haul was. Excuse like one me. One of them, was, I think, has got Tommy John. It was Chase up. McDermott and Seth Johnson, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. who I need to read up more on. But two okay pieces for Mancini, who wasn't even having the greatest season mm-hmm. by his standards. He's just 270 hitters, hit 10 home runs this season. So Orioles fans, I know it hurts. This is the kind of things that happens when you're trying to rebuild. But this is a move I think they were smart to make. No, yeah, I totally agree with that. And it 
it really feels like this Orioles team is going to be focused around the upcoming younger guys in Mount Castle, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Allie Rutschman. That's kind of what they're looking to build this team around for the future. And Mancini's meant a lot to this team. He's He was there for really dark times for Baltimore Orioles baseball, and that'll never go unnoticed. And fans will always love Trey Mancini for his story, for everything he's went through. But it was just time. It was, and, yeah. the, and then it happens in sports. It's a business at the end of the mm-hmm. day, and it's a move that needed to happen. It takes a little less off the payroll, too. So if the Orioles want to bring in somebody, like we mentioned it before yesterday, maybe a Tariq Skubal from Detroit, if they want to bring in a pitcher and try and really make a push for a wild card spot, they can. And Mancini hurt from it, too. He issued a statement through his Twitter account. to It was basically a love letter to Baltimore saying, hey, I'm going to miss you guys. You'll always be part of my life and everything with it and yeah it's it's always hard when a fan favorite gets traded and mm-hmm. it, it'll always sting but it, it at the end of the day it was a move the Orioles needed to make I will say this really quickly the sporting news and their kind of live blog where they grade all these trades gave the Astros an A the Rays a C and the Orioles an F for this move. I really don't think it was that bad of a move. No. Uh, the, the, the crux of their argument was that the Rays got rid of Johnson and he's having Tommy John and you're right but yeah. that's the perfect buying low at a good time for a good prospect. And with the Orioles, they're still not in it because I've been seeing so many people say, like, this team's so good, right? Of course, right now they're playing so well, so everybody's going to say, like, this team's so good. But there's, like, why trade anybody? Just keep this core if they're, you know, right. But they're still not in a position to really, you know, this team will just continue to be this, like, bottom-level team. I mean, they're still, what, last in the AL, right? So, like... Yeah, I, I, best-case scenario is this team finishes 500. And even at that, I yeah. think that is the best-case right. scenario, even if they're buyers. So I, I guess it comes down to an Orioles fan. Is it worth it to keep Mancini for 60 more games to win 78 games in this season and not make the playoffs? And then and probably then do him, the same thing And then he year. leaves in free agency. Yeah. So get something while you can. And I know again, I know it stinks, but that was a move that needed to happen. Yeah, very interesting. Man, I saw a post too uh, on Facebook, of course, where you see all the great uh, sports reactions over there. But um, I saw somebody post uh, about the Mancini thing. They were like, "Man, man, can't believe Mancini's gone. Uh, love the story, love his player. Da da da. This is why uh, professional sports are so awful. There's no loyalty. <laughs> it was like this is why you should watch college sports. I'm like, come on. Like this is like you said, it's a well, business, they kept them on, right? Yeah. They, they kept been them on the roster forever. when he was beating cancer. Yeah, like yeah. their loyalty for the last eight years. Yeah, okay. yeah. no loyalty. Absolutely. Now it's one thing if he was like, yeah, this place. Like all of a sudden, I hate this place and I wanted to be in a trade. Like that's yeah. different. Then that post makes sense, but not uh, not there. But we do have to hit our bottom of the hour break. We'll come back. We'll keep uh, talking MLB trade deadlines. There's still a lot to talk about. We haven't even started talking about Juan Soto yet, who hit a absolute bomb off of uh, Max Scherzer last night, which loved every second of it. But stick around for more Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. So we're talking a little MLB trade deadline. Uh, we just got done talking about Mancini to the Astros because uh, that was uh, a little bit of a, I mean, not a shocker once you like looked at it, but just kind of a the shock to the system type of a headline. But another big shock, especially to me, uh, was Hader to the Padres. I didn't even think Hader was really at a place to move. Yeah, I didn't think he was on the trade block at all. Like There was no buzz about a Josh Hader move happening, and I saw it just pop up on my phone yesterday. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that was I, I was I was shocked by that. And again, 
at the end of the day, and you can thank baseball's weird salary cap issues for that. Milwaukee's a small market, and now it's it's a time for them to maybe move Josh Hader because they're in the thick of it of that NL wild card race, and it's going to be just harder for them to hang on. Do you, how much do you really want to sign a reliever? I mean, Josh Hader is the best reliever in baseball, in my opinion. Oh yeah, but how much are you willing to pay out to a reliever? Is at the end of the day. Yeah, it was a big shock to me as well. The only thing, though, is the Padres said when they were done that they've tried to get Hater for years, hmm. and they were finally able to get him now. And the return, it, it, it's hard to quantify, especially with relief pitches as far as they're concerned because this is such a weird trade market. But you get Taylor Rogers, who had 28 saves the year before. Denilson Lamette is probably going to be a reliever for them as well, coming back in that move. Astrui Ruiz is somebody that also might play right away, who's got as good a foot speed as anybody else in baseball. And then they get the Padres' second-round pick from 2021. So that's a pretty good haul for Hayter. Uh, they still have Devin Williams, the airbender, who's probably going to be their closer now. He's got, in my opinion, the best pitch in baseball with that changeup. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's an interesting one for Hayter, to say the least, because you're trying to fend off the Cardinals, who also made a trade of their own and still are a dark horse for Juan Soto, even though I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. They add Soto. Padres, they're coming for people. Yeah. Well, they're a complete so, team then. That's the, I guess that's the question, though, from the Brewers' perspective, though, is... I wonder if this is this is me getting a little galaxy brain. If the Brewers make this trade, if they think that the Cardinals are going to get Juan Soto, because I don't think they do. I think yeah. that they know that the Cardinals aren't going to get Juan Soto, and that's why they're comfortable moving off of Josh Hader, uh, in my opinion. Now, the Padres now become the front runners. You're absolutely right for Juan Soto if the Cardinals pull out, which the, that was the report yesterday that mm-hmm. those trade talks have gotten a little bit cold. So you add the best young hitter in baseball and the best reliever in baseball. All of a sudden, you're probably the second best team in the National League behind only the other team in your division in the Dodgers. Yeah. So, or the best, depending on who you ask. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one, but um, yeah, the hater move is definitely an interesting one, especially going to you know San Diego, where. Well, I want to talk about Soto, okay? Because what, what's happening with Soto? Are the Nationals going to be able to sneak out of this and actually get him for his full contract, or is he going to go? Now, uh, you've been pretty high up on the Cardinals, and I texted you guys the other day saying I've seen way too much Cardinals and Soto talk. But the more I looked at it, the more I was like, do they really need him? And then, of course, you said that it seems like they're backing out. So where does Soto go if he doesn't uh, – or if he leaves, if because I don't, I don't think he goes. I think it's just too late now. I think it would already happen. I think him turning down as much money as he did kind of shied away some other people because it's mm-hmm. like, how are we going to be able to hit the hit him with this kind of money and still be able to do anything else? Um, but I think he stays. But I think if he goes, I think San Diego is the only place he can go. Well, that's the thing. Uh, three realistic scenarios here: he goes to the Padres, he goes to the Cardinals, or he resigns. Yeah. If you asked me yesterday to rank him, I'd say most likely he goes to the Cardinals. Second most likely he goes to the Padres. Third most likely he resigns. Now today, based on what we're hearing, I'd say number one is he goes to the Padres, number two is he resigns, and number three is he goes to the Cardinals. I was very much against him staying with the Nationals. I didn't think it was going to happen, and this was one of Parker's bold predictions from yesterday is that he was going to stay. And the reason why I said I didn't think he was going to stay is because he's not only he's not only turned down every single contract that they've <clears throat> offered him, he hasn't countered. Yep. And Scott Boris is all about yep. getting his guys into free agency and getting paid. You know, if he were to say, I'm not interested in the 10 year, $500 million, I, but I'm going to counter with 
10 years, $550 million with an opt-out after two or three years, and it's like, okay, we can play ball here, mm-hmm. maybe. But he's not even interested in negotiating, which makes me think he's going to get traded. However, the Cardinals have backed off. The Padres are the only team that right now are still have the uh, the gusto to go after him. I don't necessarily know if they're going to meet the national standards because these trade packages that have been leaked that the Cardinals have af- offered him are overpays, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. And if they're saying no to those then what the Padres would have to give up to get him would be just exponentially make sense then, way yeah. too much. Yeah, and, my, and he, like Soto said, everything other than actually saying he doesn't want to resign, he's done everything else. I mean, if you're going to turn down that much money, I mean, I think the Nationals pretty much gave him 90% ownership of the you know organization and then all that money on top of it, and he still says no. But I saw a report come out saying that um, him and a couple of other big-name guys that are still kind of on the trade rumor list and things like that, uh, he said, look, I'm kind of done with all the hype. It's gotten kind of out of hand. I'm ready for the trade mm-hmm. that deadline to be over. But then it's like, well, if he stays, he doesn't want to be there. Then, you know, what happens? I mean, I don't know. What a what a weird spot with a ton of money going around. But, hey, he played well last night. Of course, they lost to the Mets. I mean, it would have been a bigger story, I think, other than Soto on the trade deadline if they beat the Mets last night. <laughs> um, but he gets a big home run. It seems like he's playing pretty well. It seems like he's, you know... He, at least on the field, in front of the cameras, isn't showing anything, you know, any bad body language or things like that. You know, it was funny. All of Major League Baseball Twitter freaked out over they played the Cardinals in that series. Did you see that bit when he mm-hmm. gets in the batter's box and he waves at the Cardinals dugout? And everyone's like, oh, it's a done deal. And then they cut to the uh, the owner's box and John Mozeliak and the general manager of the Nationals were shaking hands and smiling. And everyone's like, oh, it's a done deal. And then the report comes out today that the Nationals are at, offered way too much or... Uh, the the Nationals are asking, I should say, for yeah. way too much from the Cardinals. the The rumor is that the Cardinals don't want to include uh, Dylan Carlson in a package with all these top prospects. Jordan Walker surely would go. Mason Wynn will most likely go. Uh, Graceffo most likely would go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted Carlson as well. And the Cardinals told him to take a hike. And then they make a sneaky little trade of their own yesterday for Jose Quintana. And maybe that's enough to appease the, the John Mozeliak haters at least until the end of the offseason. Yeah, I think right now for the Juan Soto case, I think it's either Padres or resign. I, I would even put, I think he resigns at the top of the list because I think this is a play from Soto in his camp to get more out of it. Now, I mean, if you think you can get more than $500 million, <laughs> the Juan Soto is the guy to do it, in my opinion. He's, but how can you say, as a Nationals fan, that I'm going to resign for $500 million and I expect there to be enough money to build a contender? Exactly. Like, that's, because that's, this that's is a tough thing. It's such a, a tough weird, thing. It's such a weird scenario because you'd think it, it would be a, the Yankees dealing with this because they would have enough money to deal with it. But it's like, yeah. the, aren't the Nats like up for sale? Yes. I think yeah, so, so yeah. Like, That's my thing. I guess if you sell them, or if you uh, sell them, yeah. That uh, maybe you could pump a little bit back into the organization. I don't know, but like, maybe. it's just such an awkward situation for all parties now, especially with them turning down all that money. It's like it's, I don't know. It's like uh, if you would go to you know, marriage counseling, and then you're like, yeah, well, we're fine, I guess. We're, and then you yeah, kind of go home, fine. and yeah, and it's, it's okay. You don't talk on the way home, you know that kind of thing. But, what is the Nationals' payroll right now? I guess that's the question that I have, and where it relates to baseball, because paying one guy. $50 million a year. They have them right now, what, at 163 mm-hmm. That's yeah. a third of your payroll. Yeah. Can you say that you can give a guy a third of your payroll and then still continue to build a contender around him after you've traded Trey Turner, you've moved on from Max Scherzer, you moved on from Harper, you moved on from Rendon, you're not going to be able to keep everybody else there because you haven't been able to keep everybody else there. Mm-hmm. So you're going to overpay mm-hmm. one guy and then say, oh, yeah, but we'll build a contender around you. I don't buy it. So do the Nats start going to some teams and just, like you said, um, just – Asking for ridiculous 
like situations and scenarios to trade for Soto to where teams be like, yeah, we just can't do that. So everybody's like, yeah, we're not going to do it. And then he just has to stay. Yeah. Is that the move? And they could do that. There's two years left on this deal. But then the question is, does he hold out? Right. He could just sit and not play the rest of this year if he wants to or next year as well. It gets a little messy. That's why I thought trading him just made the most sense. But if they're asking for way too much, that would be the most likely reason. Either they're just crazy or they're trying to force him into staying by saying, oh, we couldn't get a package worked out for you by asking for way too much. And then uh, it wouldn't be a trade deadline without my favorite trade deadline situation. I feel like it only happens in baseball. Uh, Christian Vasquez getting traded right in the middle of batting practice (laughs) to the team that he's playing. Uh, Was it on the they were on the road, too? Yeah, he goes goes from the uh, the kind of, you know, not too shabby uh, or shabby rather away locker room all the way just across the hall to the opposing team's home clubhouse and I, I love this scenario who was it with the Mets a couple years ago they got like he, he found out he got traded in the middle of the game but he was still in the lineup and he's out at like shortstop or second base crying because yeah, he's like the, the emotion yeah, and then he I ends up like not that. getting traded I think I do remember that um, oh my but that's my favorite that's uh, my favorite kind of uh, trade in that scenario but uh, here before we have to get to this next break Parker what were some other kind of notable ones for you yeah one I uh, really noticed and I think that the uh, team who traded away the star player actually won this trade the uh luis castillo trade mm-hmm. they uh mm-hmm. the reds dealt castillo to the seattle mariners they end up getting the mariners top prospect in noel noel v Marte, yes. which i think that was a heck of a steal also some other big stories outside of trade rumors going on yeah. austin riley got got extended yesterday he got a big 10-year deal so which stupid. i think was a steal for the Atlanta Braves was not as big of a dollar figure as I thought he was going to be for as good of a player that Austin Riley is. And as well tonight, the return of Jacob deGrom. Mm -hmm. It'll be the first time he will be pitching this entire season. He's been dealing with injuries all through this 2022 MLB season. So it's going to be exciting to see deGrom back on the mound. My opinion, when he's healthy, he's the best starting pitcher in baseball. So we're going to finally get to see deGrom in action and him with Max Scherzer for the first time since spring training. Yeah, can't wait for the Nats to uh, drop the first two games of the series to the Mets. We're going up against uh, DeGrom and then going to have Scherzer last night. Although, it's hey, it's never a Max Scherzer outing unless he has a great five, six innings and then gives up a couple home runs out of nowhere. So <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, if he's going to do it, no better place to do it than Nats Park, if you ask me. But uh, we're going to keep talking trade rumors. Also going to talk about, and I think it'll be interesting to get some viewpoints here, uh, about Tiger Woods. Some info, some uh, news came out about him and the Live Tour and a big offer that the Live Tour gave him. But I think if he takes that, he his legacy is completely, if he would have taken it, his legacy is almost completely null and void. But we'll talk about that in a little bit more after the break here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Join the conversation on Twitter at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. So we got done just talking a little MLB trade deadline, some big moves, Mancini on the move, different things like that. Josh Hader. But another thing that kind of uh, moved the W or the well college football dial and the WVU football dial the other day uh, was old JT Daniels <laughs> on the uh, college the WVU football TikTok page doing the Russell Wilson like uh, let's ride thing. He's like Mountaineer Nation, let's ride right, and everybody is <laughs> grilling him for it because and uh, Luke, you and I were saying here off the off air. I mean, he does not look like the guy. At least just body-wise in the uniform, maybe maybe it's because he's not in the black, you know, Georgia, his you know, sleek uniforms, things like that. He's in uh, gold and blue, right? 
but he did. He doesn't necessarily look like the guy that's going to go out there and win you the big or uh, the Big Twelve. Well, like they said on Monday Night Football, he looks like he's a Popeyes biscuit short of a tight end. You know, like he's. <laughs> what, I mean, just even looking at his hair, like what's he doing? You know, it's like it's like parted to like one side. Little, and yeah, he's got that greasy little mop thing going. I mean, you know. To be fair, the the bar has been set really high since the Clint Trickett era with the with the hairstyles of Mountaineer quarterbacks. Man. Clint Trickett was a beautiful man. He was a quarterback. Let's let's yeah, let's get that out of the way. Will Greer uh, yeah. had he like the like quarterback. had people like to call him Mountain Jesus. He had yeah. that thing going yeah. on, so people really liked. Well, I mean, Jared Eggy was not easy on the eyes, but there's a reason why he didn't take his helmet off on the sidelines. So, but in terms of the eye tests. Maybe not necessarily the greatest foot forward from one Mr. JT. I mean, I only care about how he throws the football. Mm-hmm, we yeah. haven't seen that yet. But, you know, that was a that was a funny little goof, obviously, put on by the social media team. I want to point out that the Mountaineers did that first. Now everybody is doing that across college <laughs> yeah. football, and now it's not funny anymore. The Mountaineers did it first. The, the, the Mountaineer Nation, let's ride. So, JT, maybe... Uh, Invest in some uh, hair gel and maybe hit yeah. the treadmill a little bit more, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what happens week one against you, Pitt. You know what I think it really is is looking at a still shot of it here. It's the uh, the full length gold tights <laughs> under the gold uh, you know pants with. And he's got the, some gams, man. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. got some thunder thighs. But it's the ankle socks that throw it off. I think. Uh, that's not not the ankle. Like I socks. get the style, but maybe not for him. Maybe not for him. And you know, college football is all about style. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, it's who's the flashiest on the field you look at the most. But, and I'll ask you first, just for everybody, is JT, is he the guy? Is he the one? I think so. I think now, it, when we say the guy, what what do you, exactly are you meaning by is he is, the Is he the one that's going to, is he going to complete the climb? Let me put it this way. Austin Kendall is not a good quarterback. No. Jared Deggie was not a good quarterback. And this team's made two bowl games in the last three years. You know, they've gotten better at every position. They've got a great offensive line. The depth they have at wide receivers while running back, I understand Lynn J. Dixon is gone. So it's the best roster that they've had under Neil Brown and the best quarterback by far. It's yeah. not particularly close. The, if Goose Crowder was a starter right now, he'd be better than the guys that they've had. And you know, I don't want to disrespect Jared Deggy because he took some shots. You know, it wasn't his fault. He, he know, got, yeah, he got, he rolled. did the most with what he had. But yeah. based on the fact that, this is the most talented quarterback that Neil Brown has had probably ever as a coach mm-hmm. and a new offensive coordinator and the weapons that he's recruited around him. I, I, he just has to be the guy. Now, yeah. I, I've heard people, CBS Sports was talking about this the other day. Uh, the, the biggest concerning quote they had from Neil Brown is when asked about JT Daniels, he said, yeah, as long as we've got the guys to keep him healthy. And that's not the kind of language yeah. you want to hear from a coach when you haven't even started the season. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. If JT can stay healthy, then we'll be okay. But that's such a big concern that he's bringing that up before he's taking a single snap in a game with as good of an offensive line as they're supposed to have, which makes it sound like first sign of contact, Mountaineer fans are going to be very, very nervous. So is it, is yeah. he him? Is he him? I want to say Daniels, so. I'm him. I want to I say so. I really do. And we've talked about the disrespect that the Mountaineers have gotten in preseason oh, yeah. polls. People have gone easy unders on five and a mm-hmm. half, as little as that. I think I really do think this Mountaineer team has a really high potential. I think I think it could top out realistically at nine and three if everything goes their way. It may be even ten and two if you want to get crazy with it. It it, it, it really just depends on how what you think about the rest of the Big Twelve because people love Kansas State, people love Sonny Dykes and TCU now. You know, people should love West Virginia. Yeah. If you think the Kansas State and TCUs are going to be ones in your schedule, which I think they could be, mm-hmm. then yeah. this is a nine or ten win team. But they've got the easiest measuring stick week one against a pit team that we've already said probably shouldn't be ranked. That is ranked. Keaton mm-hmm. Slovis versus JT Daniels, all about that. We'll know how good this team is immediately after the season starts. All right, last thing before we get to Parker's picks here. 
if JT goes out and beats Pitt by 30, does he get a statue? Yes, he should. Absolutely. <laughs> does he, he get a statue? Pitt by 30, you give him the Heisman right now. <laughs> Heisman week one, statue by the end of the season. Na- we'll, just, we'll just name it JT Daniels' field at that point. Just everything will be JT. Instead of Heinz field, it'll be JT Daniels' field. Acrisure Stadium, JT Daniels. JT JT Daniels owns Acrisure. All right, Parker, how you been doing with these picks? Are you on a heater? Are you not? And what do you got? We've been rolling the past few days. It's been it, which is awful because (laughs) you can't sports bet in North Carolina where I was. So all of my three for threes, all my lock hits, couldn't hit on them. Mm. But it doesn't matter because if you, great listener, have hit them. That's my job to get you some money. So once again, I'm going to get you some money today. My lock of the day for today's games, I'm going with the Milwaukee Brewers on the money line against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's in Pittsburgh, but we got Corbin Burns on the mound. You can't. It's hard to go against Corbin Burns, especially when he's playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that's going to be my lock of the day for today. Others I like as well. I'm not going to throw the Mets in there because I feel like that has been a crutch I've used for a while. (laughs) So I'm going to go Chicago White Sox money line today against the Royals as well as I think this might be a risky play because this one might be kind of if between. I like Yankees over the Mariners today. I... Jameson Tyone's going to be on the mound for him. They're going to be placing them, facing the Mariners, who are pitching Logan Gilbert, who's had Ooh. a fantastic season the young pitcher has. So I, I'm feeling a little risky with that one. If you want to play it a little bit safer, I would maybe go Cleveland Guardians over the Arizona Diamondbacks today. But I'm feeling I'm feeling the Yankees today getting a nice win over the Mariners just because, again, their best player, in my opinion, Julio Rodriguez, isn't in the lineup right now. So my lock of the day, once again, Brewers over Pirates. All right. Oh, and uh, one last thing here before we finish up. Uh, is wrestling, pro wrestling, is it back? Well, we've had some crazy stuff going on the past couple days. Pat McAfee, former Mountaineer legend, former Indianapolis Colts legend, and broadcasting star. If, if you don't know, he's made his way to WWE. He's a color commentator on Friday Night SmackDown, and he occasionally wrestles. He wrestled at the SummerSlam event over the weekend. He faced his former Colts teammate, who was uh, built as Happy Corbin is what he's called. Happy so those Corbin. those two faced off. McAfee had a good showing there, as well as former NBA. Well, he's still in the league right now. Dwight Howard apparently he was at a WWE tryout in Orlando, and he was down there and he was talking with some people and he said, "Yeah, that's something I want to do whenever if I'm done." It was like, "I'm okay." Oh, with. you're done. You're done. Well, if I'm Dwight's really done, well. he he's probably going to make his way to. WWE at some point I think so and then Jordan you brought it up as well with the uh you saw the clip of the uh, tipping of the ring from mm-hmm. uh, one Brock Lesnar so with a track with a front yeah, end loader flipped it over like flipped, a pancake it was it, I I saw that I wasn't able to watch the event live but I saw the clip of it afterward he took he had this big red tractor it was in Nashville so that had to play up to the Nashville crowd <laughs> he takes the tractor the tipper he tips the like corner front left side of the ring up the guy he was facing Roman <laughs> Reigns tumbles out. he just like it's something out of a cartoon he flips <laughs> back ridiculous. tumbles three times and onto the other side of the ring and it was it, it's pretty interesting maybe maybe so wrestling is back for the first time it feels like the late 90s so we'll have to see man who'd have thought who'd have thought but anyways I think I just about does it for us right oh by the way
Oh, you can't hear it. You can't hear it very well. But I finally found the JT Daniels uh, video. Let's ride. Let's ride. We've been staying show day. Let's back to it a little bit later on. Uh, for Luke and for Parker, I'm Jordan. It's been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM, WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Have a good one. Panhandle Live is next, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. CST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.